0: Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep. And on today's episode, we have the supple leopard himself, Dr. Kelly Starrett. Now, I reached out to Kelly and said, Hey, man, I want to start this conversation more often about training children. What should we be doing? And Kelly has a wealth of knowledge from training his own children, but also engaging and working as a physical therapist for so many years with athletes all over the world. I loved the insight he shared. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. If you do, all I ask, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Let us know what you think so we can continue to put out great episodes. There's a variety of different episodes on this podcast now. We have ones with athletes like we just had with Chandler Smith. We have ones with Kelly Surrett talking about, you know, youth and training. And we also, of course, will still have business-related content coming out soon. So if you love this podcast, leave us a rating review. If you're a gym owner, make sure you check out the NC Fit Collective. And if you're training in your garage, getting after it, and you want to go ahead and have an app that helps you put in the effort, go ahead and check out the NC Fit app. Now, let's dive into an incredible episode. Parents, make sure you stay tuned to this one. You're going to love it. If you're not a parent, you're still going to love it. Let's get after it. Let's go. Okay, so Kelly, you know and I know that we both – you know, we both go in the garages, we both bring our children into the gyms. And as I've gotten older and my children have gotten older, I have a seven-year-old son, a 10-year-old daughter. Um, The question of training my children comes up a lot more often. And I'm just kind of having them do what I do just in a very scaled, adjusted version. And a lot of people are online are asking me questions about it. And I wanted to pose the question to you and others about what should we be doing to train our children like what is right, red is wrong. And where did some of these preconceived notions of like, if you touch a weight, you're going to stump your growth. And is there any validity to that? Because I don't think many people are talking about this conversation. I think we should, because your girls are older. They're both in high school, right?
1: I have, a, I have an eighth grader in high school or junior. Okay. So we're, we're, we're right in there though. You're absolutely right that, uh, you know, we're, we're in the training age.
0: And so if you're a parent right now, and maybe you used to belong to a CrossFit gym, maybe you you know, uh, because CrossFit really took off, let's just say, I don't know, 10 years ago, give or take. And so a lot of people that got into it seven, 10 years ago are now having children that are getting to the age where they could start training them, which is obviously like me, my, myself. And so what kind of advice would you have for parents looking to get their children into some type of fitness regimen, whether it's a class at the gym or actually preferably at home as a bonding experience? What do you, what do you think we should be talking about?
1: It's such a great topic around how do we create durable physical movers, people who are ready for the environment, who are prepared to learn, prepared to pick up new skills quickly, and simultaneously uh, you know, durable enough through exposure of movement that they love it and it feels good and they want to do it and continue to explore their phys- physical selves. The issue is, I think adults, you know, can go deep into the rabbit hole of pelotoning, work capacity, and that is not the limiting factor for children. K- kids don't need, you know, hardcore interval training. If we look at the number one thing we should be doing for our children is saying, well, what is it the human being needs to do? So, We can start to ask that question and be a little more abstract around that. Like what what is required for a healthy organism in the environment? And what we see right now is that there's a gigantic organism mismatch. The human body is designed to be in constant motion, it's designed to be constantly explored and played, and and these positions are, are sort of normative. And then all of a sudden, then we can start to tune those positions up and down as sport becomes a little bit more serious or a little more aggressive. So certainly as kids get older, they may need different things, but fundamentally we can begin to ask the question, what what is a physical practice for a child? And I think if we just take our adult boring games and put it on top of that, we really miss a lot of opportunity to teach children how to explore their environments, how to understand their bodies, And what sort of good positions and better positions are, because really what we're always doing in the gym, is should be teaching positions that transfer and give us more movement solutions. So you can think of the gym as like formal ballet training, but kids are out there doing modern dance. What we want to do is have a sort of a classical movement education. And if you go back for a second, you'll see things like Coaches have said, like, oh, gymnasts make good good athletes. Well, what is it? What's about that? Well, they have good body awareness. They're springy. They can jump. They know how to land. They can they can be comfortable upside down. They can learn new skills, right? So, one of the things that we can begin to ask then is, what's essential in this movement of strength conditioning for kids, or what's a movement practice look like? Strip out the strength because how strong can a 12 year old boy be? How strong can a 13 year old girl be? The answer is not that strong. So there is something else in here. You know, my daughter you know, they both mountain bike, they both ski, they both paddle, um, you know, they both engage in some kind of CrossFit. Caroline goes to an Olympic lifting club formally, like she goes to a formal Olympic lifting club three days a week. Both of them play water polo. And what we feel like, and Georgia does in we Thai. And what we feel like is how many different exposures, physical exposures can we have to our kids so that they're, they're really constantly challenged. They're constantly in play and that they're interested. And, and so, what I think has happened early on is we used to, we came out of a tradition where the old model was play, play, play. I mean, we all did as many sports as we could, three different sports, four different sports, five different sports here. We the games, the, the free play. And then what we all probably could have used, and again, I'm four, turning 48 here in a second, is we all could have probably used a little formal movement training on top of that. We could have used some basic barbell training, or basic kettlebell training. We could have used some formal, sort of strength positioning on top of that. Then fast forward and what we see is that the environment is sort of flipped on the kid. We have hyper-specialization, not bike riding, not play, PE is a joke. And what we see is that we're having to teach kids all things. We, we're seeing high school kids who can't jump up on a box. We're seeing kids who can't do a double leg hop. And this isn't the first, so just so we're clear, we're having to teach kids everything now in a formal way that we shouldn't have to. You know, um, this is, we're not also, we're not the first people to take a crack at this. I think if you look at the tradition of getting kids ready, even um, John F. Kennedy actually started the presidential physical fitness test because he saw a generation of kids who were not prepared for the Cold War, who could not be deployed as soldiers because we weren't fit enough, we weren't strong enough, we, we weren't moving enough. And that's actually the, the genesis of the presidential physical fitness test. So suddenly, what we see is that we're seeing the slow de evolution of, of durable play. I mean, there's kids who grew up on farms, throwing hay and carrying kids are really durable. And what now we're actually seeing is freakish increases in ACL injuries, lots and lots of musculoskeletal problems because of the specialization without the base play. And there, the window gets, you know, it starts to become more and more important. And and so to your point, I think, what is it that kids should do? And how can we sort of be a little bit more granular about, well, what does that look like day to day in my, for my child? Right. Yeah. And
0: so you guys do the stand up for, you know, the up desks in the different schools. You guys are deeply engaged with children and adults yep. in this specific concept. Now your children are obviously doing a variety of different things. My children, the goal is to get them to do group sports. I love the idea of the social interaction, the play, <clears throat> but there's also a really cool bonding experience with a parent and child if they're, you know, a lot of people are having garage gyms
1: these days. And so if you were to have a garage, you, yeah. Why shouldn't we? I mean, you're, what? you're nailing it. Like if you teach your kids to eat and sleep and do homework and to brush their teeth and, and clean themselves, why can't you teach your kid how to, to perform a squat? So you're 100% correct. That is absolutely the right thing to do. We need to decentralize this. You don't need a professional coach to get your kids exercise.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, so let's just say that you have a basic fundamental, fundamental understanding of human movement. Let's just say you've gone to classes for a while, whatever. And you wanted to introduce your children to these things. Um, what types of movements? Cause you're saying, you know, maybe I heard you say, uh, as a soundbite, maybe stay away from high intensity training. What, what would you recommend? So like right now, I'll give you an example. My daughter, she just wants to go into the gym for like 15 minutes. Our, our rule at our house is you have to sweat once a day. I don't care what you do. Go do whatever yep. you want. These guys sweat once a day. It can be yep. um, And uh, at least once a day, I should say. And so my daughter, if she doesn't have PE, which, you know, or if she doesn't have swim or something, we'll go in the garage early in the morning. I'll come up with like a 10, 15 minute workout for her. And she'll just kind of flow through it. And, and I'm happy. Whereas my son, he wants to stay in there longer, wants to lift weights. He wants to go a little wild. Where's the balance between your kids are lifting too much weight, how much weight is too much weight, and then how intense is too intense? Like,
1: uh, what do you think? Well, first of all, you know, it's a little bit like, hey, I've never been under a barbell. Are we gonna max out today? You know, no, we're not, right? So, you know, first and foremost, don't worry, your kids are going to be self-limited. And I think when people think of, you know, lifting weights, what they think of is, do I want my child being screamed at by a football coach from high school? No, I think that's what people are, are carrying that in, right? Um, we have been dragging our kids to like spin classes for years because it's super fun. You know, there's a, there's a yep. coach teaching. Music, good vibes. music, yeah. right. It, and, and the exercise is the side effect to the play. So gamification is really important being able to track if you if you jumped on the skier I mean I'll catch Caroline out in the garage with her friends and they'll be playing the fish game on the rowing machine of the skier right yep. and all of a sudden you know they're breathing hard and messing around and and you know I'm like we need to do assault intervals couplets, e-moms, front squats, and they're like, dad, you're so boring, you know, so, you know, what we can get underneath that first and foremost is you're, you're coming up with a fundamental idea is, Hey, we need to raise our heart rates. That's very true. Um, you know, what we're seeing is the basis of the human is that we have to load. So there's an idea called mechanotransduction. That means if you want a tissue to be durable and strong, you have to load it. It means you, you, if you want your Achilles to be a robust Achilles, you have to load it. You have to load it eccentrically. You have to load it concentrically. You have to load it isometrically. Right? That's what these tissues do. Those are the only things that tissues do. When if you, you refer want to, have to loading
0: feet, just to clarify, when you refer to loading, let's just say the Achilles, loading is not necessarily just walking. That's not what you're referring to. You're no, saying maybe so, like single leg step right. ups or some
1: type of actual load. I'm saying, boy, have you played jump rope or hopscotch? That's loading. Right, Ah, And if you actually looked at a lot of our old games, they were all predicated around skill or single leg balance, but there was a lot of game there. Um, So loading can come in a ton of different forms. And what we're seeing actually from the researches and our research with Cal is that at Cal Berkeley is that kids actually sometimes are only moving two to 3,000 steps a day when they clearly need a lot more exercise. In fact, you can go to your school right now and say, are you in compliance with the state legislature and, the, and sort of the, the legislation around physical activity and aerobic activity? And what you're seeing is not, we're not compliant. And so if you run into any pediatric uh, group, any you know, physician group, you're gonna see that there's serious recommendations for kids to breathe hard. And part of that is cardiovascular fitness, Part of that is metabolic fitness, part of that is insulin sensitivity and just burning calories and being active. But in there then is a lot of things we can do. And and I really, you know, Without trying to offend someone, I can just say that the universe or the God or whatever you think or the physiology doesn't care how you get your heart rate up. So that's true. It doesn't matter how you get your heart rate up, right? It doesn't, if it's through play and kickball and playing, you know, basketball outside or you know, jump roping, all of these things are totally valid. And in fact, I would suggest that what we want to do is expose kids to more. Uh, as, as many different modalities and as different exposures as we can, sort of kind of the conjugate ideas that there's a thousand different ways. And look, what we can then start to do is say, well, are we moving enough to decongest and to load and to accumulate enough non-exercise activity so that our kids can fall asleep more effectively mm-hmm. and sort of, sort of turn on the base physiology that makes humans durable and resilient. And remember these processes take a long time. When you get out, when women get out of puberty, they are in their peak bone growth, bone density. And if you miss those windows, it's really hard to regain bone density, right? So So you're talking like
0: 15, 16, 17, from a bone density perspective, let's talk
1: about that. So you talk about tissue. Your 20, your early 20s, Onward are when we really put on a lot of bone density. And if you miss those windows because you're just inactive, then you know. So what we should be thinking about is saying, asking our kids ourselves is like, what's the minimum dose? Well, it turns out that what we should be thinking is it doesn't take much. You know, if a kid wears a heavy backpack to school, that's some good spine loading. I hate to say it. You know, I mean, yep. obviously, we were afraid we were killing our kids in the backpacks in the 90s. But, you know, it turns out maybe that was really good for our kids to carry these, uh, these awkward loads some distances. Um, but what we saw was, I think, when people were freaking out about the size of the backpacks, there was a real mismatch between kids and the preparation of kids. Play, play, play. Now you have to sit down. Now we're competing with social media and Netflix and iPads. What we're seeing is that kids just aren't moving enough. So that's the first sort of business is saying, hey, well, how do we how do we encourage that? Well, there's a whole lot of ways. We had a walking school bus in our neighborhood that Julia and I started when our kids were elementary school, and it was like a mile and a half, mile and a quarter to school, and everyone dropped their kids off, and then thirty or forty kids with a couple of adults would walk to school, and then and you know that made a huge difference in terms of just starting to get kids to walk a little bit more, and we had parents who walked there and walked back and lose thirty pounds over the course of the year. So. It's good for the goose is good for the gander. But what you're asking then is, well, okay, if I want to go a little further, what is it my kid should be doing? And we can ask the next question is, well, can your kids put their arms over their head? Can your kid put the shoulder into extension? Can your kid do a plank? That's a front rack shape. Can your kid jump something? Well, suddenly you're seeing that there's actually in the formal language of strength conditioning, there's, there are some key positions. The shoulder doesn't do that many things. The hip doesn't do that many things. You know, and so what you're seeing is there's a whole sort of pantheon of movements that you can drop in that will expose the child, expose the the organism to these basic ranges of motion. If that's yoga, that's super cool. If that's swinging a kettlebell and doing pistols and basic rolling and gymnastics, pretty cool. What you'll see is that very quickly, there are whole lots of different ways to teach movement literacy and movement competency to kids. Well, what we're seeing is that we're saying, okay, now just go play a bunch of sports, but we have kids who aren't prepared to play the kinds of sports at the level we're playing. And so there's a gigantic mismatch where the we're suddenly asking the adult to say, hey, I need you to di- diagnose my child for... Uh, You know, for ACL likely ACL injury if she's playing soccer, and you're like, I'm a volunteer coach, like I'm a dad of three kids. I don't know what you're talking about. So there are some big systematic things we're gonna have to do. Where we're gonna have to give coaches the empowerment of understanding what's going on. We're gonna have to highlight a little bit more formal movement training kids. But you're really hitting the thing, which is if you want your children to model your behavior and be that. You have to do it yourself and you have to do it at home. You can't just do this thing away. You know, clearly if you can get a kid involved in a sport or a an- activity or they're training or messing around with their friends it's not that heavy a duty an idea and what you can see is that for years you know caroline would be like can i have an otter pop and i'd be like yeah it's 50 swings with a kettlebell and she would bang out 50 swings she'd be like can i do can i have two otter pops yeah so we just made it so that there are fundamentals in our house that our kids can do and then sometimes they're we're killing it and sometimes we get super behind but ultimately At what point are we going to ask our kids to have a little bit more agency and control over their bodies? How are we going to teach them what it takes to be sort of the maintenance of their bodies, right? As they become adults and young adults. And what we're seeing is that we're falling flat on our faces.
0: And what age are you thinking like this type of exposure? So you're talking about shoulder range of motion, hip range of motion. I mean, I see it in Ava, right? So Ava, um, you know, asked her to perform a squat. And I can already see like kind of range of motion challenges, whether it's tight ankles, hips, whatever it may be. Right. Um, but I would only imagine like if Ava, if I never had her exposed to any squats, like like uh, with me, I wonder a year or two from now, how much more the system would just not be able to flow well. And so at what age do you think introducing them to some fundamental positions? And then what are those? Is that, yeah, I mean, you you mentioned a few of them, but like, would that be some like a a squat, maybe some type of, like you said, reaching up over your head, maybe some type of press, squat press, maybe pull off the floor, like a deadlift. Um, And at what age are we talking here? I mean, I'm not talking a lot of weight. I'm just curious.
1: Well, you know, what we can ultimately see is there are, we have these fundamental positions that we think everyone should be able to do, right? And suddenly you're like, oh, the crab walk. I get it that's long lever, arm straight, shoulder extension activity. That makes perfect sense, right? Where we get to start to expose bear walking or elephant walking, right? Like you'll see that a lot of those games are about exposure to some of these fundamental positions. GMB Fitness does an amazing job. MoveNet has a a bunch of great uh, solutions. Brand X Kids is a little bit more formal strength conditioning, right? There are a whole bunch of great resources out there to start to become more literate. When we look at positions, sometimes I think when people say, Oh, I'm really worried about my kid in the strength and issue program, it's because they only conceive that the only way to challenge that position is with load. So, oh, your kid did really great. We're going to make it heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And like, okay, like that's one way. That's a really, that's not a very effective or, or, di- or very nuanced understanding. Well, I'm like, can you get into this position when you're breathing hard? Can you get in this position when you're going fast? Can you get in this position when you are competing? Can you get in this position when you have to do more than one skill in a row? You're going to do a frog hop, and then you're going to do a handstand walk. Like, holy moly, right? There's a a lot of ways that we can challenge these fundamental positions without ever adding load, by putting it into a game, by having kids compete. And what you'll see is that as kids become more fluent in these basic positions, then we can start to say, "How? What are ways that we can challenge these basic positions?" And so the, you know, the thing is, I think you say is, "Well, what is it we think every kid should do?" Well, it depends on the age, but you know, if you're worried about your kid being formally taught how to air squat, you know, then you have a problem because that's what your kid is doing when she is jumping and landing. You think that doing a head, like a step up onto a box under a little, you know, metabolic load or under a time domain is challenging? Then have your child cut while playing soccer. And what you'll see is strength conditioning is the formal movement language of all the sports. And what we're really not doing is preparing our kids with the language to be able to go out and learn these new skills more quickly. And the kids who come out of a little bit more formal movement tradition. So if you think gymnastics or think something like CrossFit for young kids or some kind of formal movement training, it's as much about coordination and skill acquisition, skill transfer, as it is about bigger physiology. Look, if 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 it was just about physiology, we'd just do blood flow restriction on our kids, put them on the assault bike and, and we'd be done, but that's not how it works, right? So, you know, the real thing is, you know, who, what, ch- I mean, we've had little tiny baby kettlebells around our house for a billion years and our kids would mimic us and play and now they can swing regular kettlebells. And what you're seeing is you'll be able to get into the fundamentals. Yes, I think kids should press overhead. Yes, I think they should be able to swing a kettlebell. We swing kettlebells because we use speed to to limit position instead of heavy pulling off the ground, right? There's a reason why my sensei, Mike Bergner, always taught us to Olympic lift and snatch a PVC pipe from the high hang position or upright position because we weren't limited by our shapes. And there were just fundamentals. Where is straight up and down? You know, holding a PVC pipe over your head. You know, in his high school, you know, Coach Bergner, you had to do 50 overhead squats with the PVC pipe every day, just as the buy-in to class. And if you didn't, you, you didn't get to go to, you got like detention. I mean, so just think about how do we constrain the environment at different levels, at different ages? So for example... You know, we have been, for the past decade, been doing work on stand-up kids, right? Trying to get kids into more movement-rich environments instead of just sitting at school. And if kids are getting up and down off the ground all day long, because that's one of the places, then that's a lot of rich movement, balance, input, that, that works. Um, you know, constraining the environment, you know, like Greg Cook did when he was going in and work with his local school, he just had kids squat on a half foam roller. So it was a game, they had to balance. But, you know, we didn't have to teach foot pressure or the nuances of of body position. We just said, don't fall off the roller as you squat. So there's so many ways where you can begin to constrain this. And what we're seeing is if we just teach games, then that's entertainment. And I think what's confused a lot of adults is that they engage in fitness as entertainment not fitness as in what is a robust movement practice? Because if you get into Pilates or yoga or CrossFit or kettlebells or Olympic lifting or gymnastics, those are all the same process. they just are wrapped up in slightly different methodologies, but the body is the body and people have been figuring out what the best way to prepare that body is for as long as they've been humans.
0: And so from a training perspective, can you, you think right now, how much training is too much training? Like, you think you could overtrain a kid, or you think their tissues are so quick to recover that they could actually train a lot more than
1: we give them credit for? Um, I'm so it's it's that's a great question. And the first thing is you know desire to train and fun. Like if you're yeah. dry, you know there's a couple things here. I, I think you and I both have a daughter who would rather bake. And cook and read or watch TV than exercise hard, right? right. That's my I'm describing my own my oldest daughter, and that's because her genetics because we we were, were crazy and we've had her tested. Her genetics actually indicate that she has low desire to train, so she's a great mover, incredible athlete, but. Her intrinsic drive to do that is very low. My intrinsic drive to move, and I know you, for example, Jason, sort of manage and medic self-medicate your ADHD and ADD by moving, right? So I have like ninety-six percentile. I'm like, let's move. What are we doing? A plan? What are we doing now? You know, I'm twitchy and want to go. But Georgia is like fifteenth percentile, so she doesn't want to move very much. So understanding her drive means that if there's a, a group involved, if there's a game, if there's a, a group of people, if there's a team, she's much more likely to do it than if I'm like, gee, I need you to go out and power clean and, and, and you know, and do the things she needs to do. So, you know, the question is, you know, it all comes back to exposure. So making kids, you know, the first time kids get into a program, they're a little sore and they're shocked by it. But, you know, in terms of overreaching, we've only ever seen kids overreach Honestly, when they're hyper-specialized athletes engaged in multiple sports, then they think that if they throw in full-time, hardcore CrossFit on top of that. That's the only time I've ever seen kids kind of be overtrained. But if you're thinking about, well, what, what did I do in high school? I was in a sport for five days a week, sometimes six days a week, and those we did two days as fourteen-year-olds. I'm not saying that that's great, but uh, you know what you'll see is that you can handle this exposure but that exposure has to come in at some point. So you're right, we should be breathing hard and getting our heart rates up every day. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, right? But we're also seeing that just the base movement isn't happening and we're not walking enough and we're not in sitting up on the ground and playing on monkey bars and, and just sort of playing. So what does that look like? And then really it comes down to, well, what are the resources and tools available to me as a parent? And how, or as a uncle or, you know, we, we did this thing called squat club in our neighborhood for a while, where just twice a week, I had all the kids come over and we just chose one or two movements and we, you know, performed those movements twice a week. And what we saw was that those kids became more and more skilled and, uh, you know, it wasn't ever about load. It was about simple linear progressions and doing five sets of five and just, you know, and then basics, pull-ups push-ups. And what you're seeing is calisthenics and basic gymnastic movements really are the game. And, and again, as kids get better and better at those things and stronger and stronger, they're more interested. Hey, what's that barbell? How do we pick that up? How, you know, and what you're seeing is that it's that that progression is naturally there. So
0: if you look at a playground as like a great, you know, example of like things to go play on. I get that. Um, if you're a parent and let's just say you are physically active, but you don't really know where to start with your kids. And to me, um, like you, I, I think you and I would both agree on this, like as much as it is to benefit the children. So when they get in the sports, they're more prepared and, and whatever. Um, I actually just really enjoy doing it with my children. Like I, I find that to be a really cool bonding experience that I hope to have for the rest of my life. If you were a parent and let's just say you don't have a robust garage gym, or whatever it is. Where would you start? Like, do you think, uh, I mean, I, I hear you on the calisthenics, but like, do you think, I mean, obviously like walking would be great. Would you, they? would you then say well, the next step could potentially be like a loaded bag walking or is that not, or not really just walk farther or switch it up or what do you think? No,
1: you know, one of the things that's great is, um, you know, one is the first thing that we have to ask fundamentally is why am I supplementing so much formal movement training into play. Cuz mm. what we should be doing is encouraging play 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 play. Go outside, go play. And and we we're going to have to wrap our heads around that sort of type 1 error because if if I'm like, okay, my child hasn't moved all day and then I'm adding in that's like saying, don't worry about eating whole foods, we'll just take these vitamins, right? What we always want to look at is formal movement training 2 or 3 days a week should be a supplement to a really enriched Sort of daily experience, right? Where you're you're playing. You know, Georgia will come home and talk about playing soccer at break, you know, and throwing the frisbee around. And, you know, what we should be doing is saying seeding the environment around those things. Then you're absolutely right. We don't have to add in a lot of complexity to this. This could be a 10-minute yoga flow that everyone does after dinner. It can be that easy, and the one of the things that I remember, you know, my dad was a, you know, college quarterback and superstar basketball player, really good athlete, but he never liked to exercise with me. He always was like, "Did you did you do your exercises?" When I visit him in the summer, did you run? You know, and uh, what I can tell you is that it's good. You know, if you go out there and move with your kid, it's going to be a lot easier. So you know, you're absolutely right. Throwing a little bag and carrying it, those are farmers walks. That's you know, our friend good uh, Matt Vincent you know, has this great saying, he's like, you know, ultimately, he's like, I have to do pretend to do work to support muscles I don't need in my daily life, right? I mean, that's that's the epitome of modern exercise. But what you're what you're seeing is that fundamentally, human beings need to walk around and carry things and get up and down off the ground, right? So, I mean, Dan John broke all strength and down to picking something off the ground, putting it over your head, walking around with it. And what you can begin to see is, Again, there are many, many ways to do that. And, you know, it's much better to have these micro doses of play every day. Just like you teach your kids to brush. Our kids now floss. We get in the hot tub in the evening usually. And uh, that's when our family likes to floss together. Our kids like now it's kind of their routine. And, um, you know, the idea is, man, if you just expose it over and over and over again and play a lot, you know, it's easy. What you could do then is also seed your environment. You can create a simple balance beam. We have one that we keep in our kitchen. We have a slack block, which is like an incredible like mini balance beam on a foam block that makes it feel like a slack line in the kitchen. It's cheap. It's small. It's play. We keep all the soft tissue tools right in the living room. And what we're trying to do is make it so that the environment cues the behavior so that I don't have to add in a, or nag or do something else. So for example, have your kids do their homework while sitting on the ground at the coffee table, right? They'll have to fidget, they'll have to change. That's all the range of motion that they're gonna need for their hips in all of those positions while they're working on the ground. So suddenly what you can begin to say is, well, how do I shape that environment? How do I get a little bit more movement baked in and then let that you know rinse, wash, repeat and let that bake in for a decade or two. And then you can start to turn up and turn down. You know, this summer we went backpacking with another family and Caroline's the first time she carried her own heavy pack. We did like a three or four day trip, Desolation Wilderness. But Caroline had been riding her bike a ton. She was going to water polo a ton and had just gone through, you know, Junior Olympics as a goalie. And she crushed these little kids. She's been going to Olympic lifting club. Right. And there were two other boys who were older than she who were hiking with her, and she destroyed them. And uh, she wasn't sore when she got to camp. She wasn't tired. She could carry. She was faster. She smoked on the hills. And she was like, being fit is, like, is cool. It's like having a superpower. And I was like, oh, is it? That's super cool, right? So, yeah. you know, she's starting to make the connections that she feels better when she exercises. But she goes to Olympic lifting club, and how much actual Olympic lifting goes on there? I don't know. I don't care. They overhead squat, they power clean, they plank, they mess around. They, you know, they, she's in a group of kids playing while they Olympic lift, and that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point. Like the sitting at on the floor. I think I think uh, you know a trap that I've fallen into is that. Um, you know, we do the walks, we do the garage, we do a lot of different things. But what we don't do enough of is uh, seated positions, right? We don't do enough. Hey, just be on the ground. And uh, you're one of the first people. Like, like I'm standing at a stand up desk right now, and um, but you're one of the first people that really turned me on this idea. to like I can't remember what you told me. You said that um, in I want to say Asian countries there is less deaths from the elderly because they've been taught to sit on the, sit on the floor and stand back up again. They don't fall as much, excuse me, not deaths. It, I just butchered the hell out of that and I apologize, but I think it relates to children too, right? We, we need to get them on the ground more often.
1: Well, you know, what you see is I cultures, that. no, the cultures that toilet on the ground and sleep on the ground, the fall risk in the elderly drops to zero because it's so much practice is baked in right? And what you'll see, what you see is, you know, the body is really clever. So most people have heard of Wolf's law, which is the law of use it or lose it, which means that your bones become very strong when they're loaded. In fact, loaded to the place where you actually have to deform the bone. You load the bone so much. I'm talking about jumping on a single leg, right? I'm talking about jump roping. That's the kind of loading I'm talking about. And you actually, the bone actually creates a and the electrical effect, the piezoelectric kind of, you know, depolarization happens in the bone, and that electrical charge brings in the osteoblasts. So you remember in the '90s, all of a sudden we, like, all our mothers were osteo had osteoporosis, and there was a thousand calcium chews. Do you remember that yeah. osteoporosis was like a national scourge? And what we saw was that we gave millions of women calcium, and guess what? didn't didn't change their bone density. Why? Because they weren't necessarily calcium deficient. The problem was they were load deficient and walking wasn't sufficient. Walking up and down stairs, carrying something? Yeah. Jump roping? Yeah. Even trampolining like a mini bounder is enough to load the bones. So Wolf's Law was described by Julius L- Wolf in the 1800s. And it was really about understanding that when you loaded bones, they become stronger. And when you unload them, they become weaker. And what you can see is that the same thing happens throughout the whole body. And what we're realizing now more and more is that these systems take a long time to develop. And if you go in and even look at um, Chris McDougall's book, Born to Run, he explores kind of running and culture of running. And one of this indigenous groups of, of runners in Mexico that he kind of examines, they create a game where kids run and they have to kick this ball along the trails, or follow the trail. And, and it's in an, it's such a game that makes it impossible for the kid to just run. They don't realize they're running far. They have to take a thousand steps. They have to change direction. So they invented a running game. Because running is so important for the survival of the locals, that they taught their kids how to run through games. Mm -hmm. I think that really is the ultimate, you know, um, the sort of the ultimate idea here is that as modern humans who are some some of us do not have the resources to have a home gym, what can we do? Well it can be as simple as let's get up and down off the ground, or let's do this 10 minute yoga thing, or, you know, let's breathe hard for a few minutes, or let's walk around the neighborhood and go see someone and let's carry something while we do that. So there's a thousand ways in a million ways in to this, but ultimately your children need to be doing more than they're doing now. And that means more exposure, more gains. We we have skateboards all over our house, um, you know, they don't get touched for months and then suddenly they're used every day for weeks, right? Our, we have bikes around the house. And what we've tried to do is, you know, create as much choice for movement for our kids as we can. And then we layer in a little bit of formal movement training. So here's an example. Georgia's uh, varsity water polo team, they use the Ready State app for their athletes. And one of their coaches who- He's on coaching, that as a freshman? Uh, she's a junior now. Oh, she's a, and, sorry.
0: She's a junior. In yeah, the it's okay. Year. She's a junior. Yeah.
1: That's right. And, you know, I got some photos yesterday of the water polo kids doing some of the daily maintenance, down regulation, movement stuff. The coaches are like horrified because they're realizing that a lot of the problems they're having teaching kids to get into position isn't a function of their coaching or even a function of the child wanting to be able to do that. It's a function of the hip doesn't have the interrotation. They don't have any extension. That really it's this, if you're worried about your own kids, it's happening all the way up through high school and college too. You know, what's interesting is that this is a such a complex system and it's such a, such a complex problem that a single intervention level isn't going to work. We're going to have to legislate, we're going to have to change PE, we're going to have to create more clubs and more opportunities for kids to play. We're going to have to do some formal movement training there. At the highest levels in the NFL, you'll hear those strength conditioning coaches say, well, the problem is these kids come from college and they're all beat up. And you go to college and they're like, well, the problem is we had 22 All-Americans and 20 of them had knee pain when they did an air squat. And then, you know, they're like, these kids come out of high school without any preparation. Then you get to high school and they're like, oh, the middle schoolers, I mean, these kids can't even do fundamentals. So, you know, what you're seeing is we just passed the buck back and back. When we originally wrote the book, um, Ready to Run, One of the things that we noticed in the first grade, we saw a lot of kids begin to heel strike. There's no heel striking in kindergarten. Not a single child heel strikes in kindergarten. Every child runs like a little Usain Bolt. But halfway through the first grade, the combination of the change in the environment that's doing a lot more sitting and the growth means that suddenly kids are changing their primary movement patterns because their bodies are adapting to their environment. And suddenly we start to see heel striking. And if you don't think that heel striking is wrong, well, then you don't understand human running at all because you can't heel strike barefoot. So it's completely a construct of the kind of crazy, cushy shoes that we're in and lack of movement. So my point is here that if we're seeing these movement problems in the NFL, they are we're reaping sort of the movement fluency and competency of our elementary school kids and the real goal here is you know we just have to think about setting up the environment so that you know kids don't have a choice. You have to walk to school. You need to ride your bike to school. You know, that you, you know, you can measure and track those things. You can gamify it. You got to put your kids in. You know, we always said to our kids, you know, which sport do you want to do? It's not your, you know, you have a choice, but you're doing some sport.
0: I think we could talk about this, this particular subject for hours and hours and hours. Cause like other things that I'm really interested in, like the hot and cold therapy, Uh, you know, uh, we had a son at the house. We don't have one right now. I want to get a new one. Is that too much? I mean, I, I want to talk about no. that. vitamins. Um, no, you, I mean,
1: it's so great. I, I love this. I love where you're going with this. I can't wait to see the conversations you have with other people around this topic, because fundamentally, we are seeing that we have young humans who are not exposed to the margins of capacity. You know, like, dude, we have a sauna because we're lucky and our kids go in the sauna. They hate it. It's so hot, they get out. They come back in, they get out right? We have an ice tank, you know, we're just about to get one of the new plunges. We can't wait. And, you know, our kids kind of just go up into their knees and you can't, you can't beg, bribe them to get sometimes go deeper. And sometimes they do, but again, it's a lot of play around that, you know, um, and setting them up to sort of be curious and to explore and to feel the power of their bodies, you know, calisthenics, you know, all that basic jumping jack, play on the ground program stuff that you see a lot of other cultures do is a matter of national health, matter of national security. So at some point we're gonna to have to have a real, you know, honest conversation about what it is we expect humans to be able to do. And then it's really just an issue of how much do we wanna dial that up and dial that down.
0: And I, I, I have one more thing. Um, you, years ago, you turned me on to the spring free trampoline. And This is not an ad, We don't get paid by Spring Free. I gotta tell you, the Spring Free Trampoline, I I bought one years and years ago and um, I ended up uh, giving it to a friend. I bought another one because of how much I love these Spring Free Trampolines and the kids just love getting on it. And man, I'll get on that thing for 15 minutes and I'm sweating my butt off when you're really going at it. So for any parents who are looking for something like kind of fun, look up the spring free trampoline. Kelly recommended it to me probably close to, I mean like, well, I guess Ava was just diagnosed with leukemia. So, uh, five years ago and uh, man, it was a game changer. So you guys use it still or not really?
1: Well, we, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, changing our backyard and not, not having the space for it, but to the point where we hide activity in the, in the relationship game play, That's really what's remarkable. And that's why, um, you know, I'm terrible at coaching kids because I don't think in terms of games. It's not my specialty. But there are so many brilliant coaches out there who have have tricked kids into doing the things they need to do in the guise of games. And And a trampoline is exactly that, right? That really is the sort of pinnacle of what we're talking about is how do you create an environment where your kids are moving and it's fun and it doesn't feel like now we're going to the dentist and now we're eating vegetables. And, you know, wah, wah, like talk about you know, sucking the joy out of life. So you're, you're on it. And, you know, I, I would like to say that, you know, if you feel like you're struggling this with this as your kids are hearing this, you are, and the only difference between you and your kids now is that you didn't have all of these choices around tech and all these other things that are highly addictive and super fun. And Fortnite is fun, and you know you would have made the same choice as your kids are. So if you're seeing your kids, you know, want to veg out or watch Netflix, you would have you had three channels growing up, and you would have made the same choice as your kids did. So give them a little slack, and then go outside and do what you need to do. And to your point. You know, I think, Jason, you're figuring out that if we have a little bit of intensity or we gamify it for 10 or 15 minutes and we're saying, hey, we're, let's choose this. Let's choose one skill and work on it. Let's work on hanging. You know, if you, how many of us had a pull-up bar in our house growing up as a kid? You know, I think that's the kind of thing that you can just put in your environment, get a little bit of work done, and then, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. See, see in a decade.
0: Yeah, I think this conversation is really important. It's really important because I'm seeing... Just like I look at the kids and I look at the, the playground and I see like in general, like most kids, like they'll like run around and whatever, but their capacity to actually do anything on it um, has, it just, and, and I'm talking about my kids in, in, in included, like like we need them to be able to do the monkey bars and those were things that were normal. But I think that you're right. There's so many distractions now. I mean, I remember when dial up internet just started and you know, you'd have to wait there and then you would only have one landline. And so if someone was on the phone, you couldn't be on the phone. Instead, you just figured out things to do and entertain yourself. And I think that nowadays, right, kids have a lot of things to give them stimulation. And I think we as parents need to work harder um, to identify ways to get them moving. And I think in the long run, like you said with your daughter, they'll it'll 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 trigger on them and they'll realize why we've been doing what we've been doing. But I think this is a good reminder through this conversation that I need to remind myself that they are kids. It needs to be a little bit more play, a little bit more fun. And I try, but I could definitely do better because approaching it like I approach it is not the way they want to approach it. And I need to be more aware of that. You know what I mean?
1: Like, well, I, I mean, in your defense, Jason, you're pretty good at CrossFit and all these other things. But you also, I don't think people understand that. Yes, while you do are really competent and world champion at CrossFit, You also play jujitsu. You also ride your bike. You also sort of engage in spending some of those other credits on other sports. And, you know, families that ride their bike together, walk around the neighborhood or, you know, throw a Frisbee or, I mean, just are you playing catch with your kids, you know? And, uh, you know, we we do these fundamentals. So Caroline just had a, you know, this idea of strength conditioning is really a surrogate conversation for what is the, what is the physical health of my child, right? That's really what the conversation is because it's not just, hey, am I doing some front squats or goblet squats or wall balls here, right? It's also, well, our kids have to turn in their phones at night so we know they're getting a good night's sleep. So we don't allow technology in the bedroom and they cannot have their phone in their bedroom. And you're going to have to have that conversation. I make my kids breakfast every day and you're like, that's a little bit weird, but I guarantee you that they go out having eaten a fruit having a fermented food, having had a protein. I've, I've taught my kids to take vitamins. So Caroline, who will not eat fish, takes a fish oil pill every morning. She's 13. You know, what you'll start to see is how do you shape your behaviors and, and, and sort of, uh, what's the right word? Um, institutions of your home. What are your habits as a home so that you just can have a little bit more robust person? You know, Caroline just fractured her ankle um, jumping off a mountain bike riding with my wife. And she didn't tear the ligaments in her ankle. And the doctor was super surprised. She, in fact, tore the bone off of the ankle bone. So she had to have a little surgery. But it's because she plays water polo and does this Olympic lifting that her ligaments and tendons were strong. She happened to be 13 going through a growth, growth spurt and she ripped this little chunk of bone off her ankle. But the point is you know, she's still on the assault bike. She's still pressing. We have these goggles that called synaptic that are used to train visual acuity. They basically block out information. They block out and go opaque and I have her catching balls and playing those games and doing all right. And so there's so many ways where you can nerd out and bring your deep movement skill nerd self to your kids. And, um, you know, what's interesting is you already have an activity tracker on your kids and that's called their cell phone. So go into their cell phone, open up the health and you can see how many steps they have. And I guarantee you that phone is with them 24 hours a day. So you have some ways of really understanding what's going on. So, you know, again, this conversation is probably the most important public health conversation we're going to have. You know, I'll leave everyone this, that when we all went to high school, the chances of us being diabetic was one in 4,000. Now, the chance of us being diabetic, our kids, is one in four, independent of how much money their parents make or the color of their skin or where they live. The chance of us being, our kids being diabetic is one in four. And if you're a black girl or you're a Latino, like a Latin a Latinx male, your chances of being diabetic are two out of three. And so what we have to see is there, these are very deep, nuanced, cultural sort of pressures on, on our young people and we are not doing right by them. And you know, it's tricky, it's tricky. And it's going to take a minute for us to untangle this. Dude. I I
0: think first off, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think that you opened my mind to a few things. I want to start discussing this idea of, you know, as as adults, we think about ways to like, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it hacking. Right. Like Mm. how do we, how do we like, you know, make ourselves the most resilient to X, Y, Z. And the thing is, is that what which ones of those can we lean into the kids without going way over the top and being like that's right. extreme, right? But like you know, I don't know. For example, COVID came to our house, right? <laughs> and uh, the nasal, um, uh, like we used the like nasal cleansing, and I think that that might have helped from the virus. Perspective. But like that's an example of like loading up with these different vitamins that we have, getting additional sunlight, doing all these different things that you know you and I have talked about. I think that we could have further conversations about this. But today was specific about movement, but I think that we should touch base again about additional things without, again, not trying, we're we're not trying to shame any parents who haven't done this because I'm trying to find ways to just enhance my kids. That's all I'm trying to do. And I know there's a lot of parents out there. And Juliet and I,
1: yes, everyone, everyone wants their kids to be healthy and not fat. And not sedentary. Like we all want that for all the reasons. Like you, you'll never find a parents like, I don't really care. Right. But what you're seeing is parents are overwhelmed. They're battling, you know, technologies and upstream sort of issues. They're not getting the support from schools. And, you know, we're asking is that, the parent has to do everything. And it used to be that there's a little bit more support physically for kids in the community through school and through, you know, social clubs, and the YMCA and all of those things. And my mom never had to think about this, right? And now we have to think about it. And I think about my kid and my mom in the seventies, you know, I gave myself heat stroke and drank from the hose and I'm not, you know, I'm not romanticizing the seventies. What I'm saying is it's a really different world now and we have to think about this problem differently. And I think that you taking this on is, is hugely important. And, and, you know, every parent comes from somewhere and, you know, it comes out of tradition of eating and movement and sleep and et cetera, et cetera. And what you can see is, well, how are we doing? And what you'll see is if you take any metric suicide, depression, um, you know, chronic pain, musculoskeletal injuries, uh, you know, Surgeries, opiate addiction, use of alcohol, uh, you know, ACL injuries. I mean, choose something you care about and you'll see that 100% of the answers is that we're trending in the wrong direction. And that's really a surrogate for where do we begin to pull on this, what seeming like is a very complex Guardian knot. And the easiest thing to do is to start to walk more. The Easiest thing to do is to make sure you're protecting your sleep. Then we can start to scale up and scale down on the other conversations sit on the ground while you watch TV. It's as simple as that. And when we start to make our environment do these basic things, then we can start to layer in other games and hopscotch. You know, I'll leave everyone with this idea. You know, we have double dutch jump ropes. We've had them in our gym and in our uh, studio here forever. And it really is the greatest test of all time of like, who's the best athlete? Who can double dutch? And if you grew up double dutching, you are a mad scientist, and if you never <laughs> grew up double-dutching, you look like you've never exercised in your life. So more play, more games, and uh, that really has to be the watchword.
0: And more double-dutching. Um, more double-dutching. Uh, well, Kelly, I really appreciate it, man. I mean, you guys have literally written the book on a variety of these different things, and um, I can't wait to uh, you know, catch up with you again in person, go out for a bike ride Um, But I think this is just the beginning of a a much bigger conversation Um, for anybody listening, who obviously wants to know more about, uh, you know, you guys have a phenomenal, phenomenal company called the ready state um, that has an incredible product through an app that provides basically daily routines that people could do. Uh, In addition, it's just a robust, a robust app, right? Um, With different areas, depending on the different issues that people are having. Um, Where can people find out more information about
1: the ready state, you, your books, all that stuff. Yeah. Go to thereadystate.com. And, you know, we even have a, we did a season of a podcast about, you know, training kids and thinking about kids. We interviewed, uh, you know, like the head strength and machine coach of the All Blacks, a friend named Nick Gill. We have the founders of Brandex uh, Kids, Jeff Mickey Martin. There's really a lot of good info on there, but more importantly... You know, if you're interested in this, become a ninja, become an expert, become the Pied Piper where, you know, do the best you can with the resources that you have. That's just, you know, starting a jump rope club. Remember the skippets? If we just brought the skippets back and every kid was in a jump rope team, problem solved. Heart rate is high, kids are jumping, Dude, the screaming. Getting up with, the up. cause you used track
0: the amount that you are able to get.
1: If we just brought simple things, We have solved this problem a thousand times before and we're like, oh, jump roping can't be, it can't be the answer, it's too easy. It is that easy. All
0: right, I'm gonna go invest in the skip it right now. Um, (laughs) All right, brother, well, hey, guys, check out The Ready State. Thank you so much for your time and uh, I'll chat with you soon, huh?
1: Thanks, Jason.